These podcasts are getting easier to do. Uh, this is now number four, and uh, I think maybe this podcast might be the best one I've done so far, which is obviously very modest and is perhaps not the best way to start off a podcast because obviously you're sort of setting yourself up for a fall. Uh, but the reason I think it might be the best is purely because... Um, I had always wanted these to be about stuff that I've been thinking about that may not be about classical music, um, but just stuff that I've been thinking about sort of somehow forced together into a thing that you could listen to. Inevitably, it would be about me, uh, but it would be a sort of an audio journal thing. So that at the very least, if nobody listens to it, I can then go back to it at the end of the year and and track what I've been thinking about and what I've been reading and sort of what struck me as important. Uh, and actually, this is possibly the first time uh, that I've been recording these when when I sort of thought, actually, there is a link. There's a link between these three important things. There are three important things in this podcast. Um, there's a link and it's sort of something I read, something I thought about. It's a conversation I had and there was an outcome which was unexpected, and and that was kind of, that's exactly what I wanted these to be about. So that's why I say I think it's going to be the best. I think it's going to be the best podcast. I don't really care if you don't enjoy listening to it. That's not really the point. Um, where to begin? Uh, well, a uh, good place to start would be an article I read online, um which talks about the outlooks of different generations. Uh, say, my grandparents' uh, outlook, which was a, um, a desire to find security and safety uh, and consider that to be the priority for their adult lives. Um, and then the the outlook of my parents generation which I think I'm right in saying was about essentially sort of having it all and sort of status and achievement and um, status and achievement being wrapped up in achieving a particular career uh, and the impact that that had on people of my generation who were sort of led to believe that actually you can have whatever you want, uh, you can whatever dream you have, whatever grandiose dream that you have, um, you can have whatever you want, and and a fulfilling career is a career which you want. I think that's. I mean, obviously, it's slightly more. Um, well-argued article than, than I've just summarised, and I may have made some errors, but the, the lasting impact was that there, on me was that there were these three distinct outlooks, each outlook having an impact on the next outlook. And it sort of went some way to explain why some people of my generation, and I consider myself in this as well, um, often sort of hit upon these sort of periods in their lives where they go, oh God, everything's awful, or I haven't got that, and if I haven't got that, then I'm not going to be happy. If only I had that, if only I had that job, or or I did that, then I'd surely be happy. 
Um, and I do certainly recognise, I do recognise that as as a sort of a thought process that I've had uh, younger when when I was younger. Uh, when I started out my career, uh, and I think that sort of contributed to my ambition and my drive to, okay, I've got this, but what I want next is that. Um, uh, So, you know, it got me thinking, it sort of made me think, oh, actually, yeah, yeah, I'm still a bit like that, really. Uh, Which helped explain for me why I've sort of treated this year as a as a year of change. I've sort of I've just started the year wanting to uncover what it is that I wanted to do next in whatever in in whatever area of my life. Um and and because I like to think and because obviously as is apparent I like to talk um it struck me that the opportunity to think carefully about that next step and what it would be and what it would entail um and what strengths it might draw on and blah de blah yeah there was a great opportunity to think about that in in a really sort of in-depth way uh and that article just sort of made me go oh yeah yeah what uh maybe i'm chasing after the wrong thing maybe actually Maybe, uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe we should all stop chasing after a fulfilling career because it might be the case that actually we've already got it. Um, uh, so that was the first thing. That was the first thing that, that's actually been quite powerful. I've noticed uh, also in 2016, I'm doing an enormous amount of reading. I've really, really got into reading. Um, uh, to sort of whenever I talk to somebody. I'll mention what I'm reading at the moment, and then I'll get them to tell me what they're reading at the moment, and then that the, the book that they're reading will be added to a list of things that I would like to read. And so the list goes... I mean, it's lovely. It's a lovely conversation thing. Um, uh, and I, I managed to unwind, and I learned stuff. I mean, this is just basically a mini-advert for reading, in case you haven't already discovered the joy of reading. Uh, I never used to read. never used to read very much at all, really. Uh, which is odd because obviously I like writing, um, but uh, and the reason I didn't read was because there was so so much other noise in my head, <laughs> so that so that when I was reading I couldn't I couldn't concentrate on anything, <laughs> and so I would read a page of text and then just basically fall asleep because I just couldn't battle with all the voices in my head. Not that I'm mad. I'm not saying that I'm mentally unstable, but. Um, I just found I found reading a trial. <laughs> I really did. Uh, anyway, uh, that isn't the case now. The voices have gone. It's all very quiet up there. And uh, so, uh, since Christmas, I've sort of really just rediscovered um, that that joy that I experience when I'm on holiday, when I'm reading. Of oh, wow, actually, I can actually relax when I do this, uh, and that might be a nice way of relaxing. So I've done a lot of reading. Uh, I talked about Chim Paradox in the last podcast. This one. Um, uh, in this one, it's it's about the book Deep Work. That's um, I think that's what it's called. Essentially, the idea about this. It, I mean, it's not it's not uh, earth shattering the revelations in this book, but um, uh, it's it sort of explains in the first part how actually our lives, because of all sorts of technological advancements, advancements, yes. Technological advancements. 
Can you say that? Or maybe just technological advances. How about that? Um, Which are designed to make life easier. What they actually do is they do... They just interrupt your day. They interrupt your thinking. They interrupt your concentration. Uh, email, as I've ranted about before, is is the tool of the devil. It comes with all sorts of etiquette, um, all sorts of um, little pernicious things that drive your, your anxiety on a daily basis. And on a very simple level, it just interrupts your flow. Uh, a similarly instant messenger and similarly consumer-facing products like Twitter and Facebook and and basically the web, uh, the inter- the internet. Um, uh, at the same time, those technical advances, technological advances, mean that quite a lot of uh, tasks which were quite intensive, say twenty years ago are now done a whole lot quicker, meaning that uh, a member of the workforce can provide value, in a, needs to provide value in a different way. They're not providing value, for example, I think there was an example around um, number crunching and how somebody 20 years ago would have been employed to... Uh, do number crunching on some data and, and provide some insights for a business where and that might take three or four days to to provide the insights whereas now uh an excel spreadsheet and a fairly basic understanding of sql and uh the ability to write macros uh in in excel means that you can just generate this stuff within half an hour uh, meaning that automation is sort of is sucking up what was previously a valuable contribution to the workforce. Uh, now individuals need to find a different way of providing value to business and one of the ways in which they can do that is to work deeply, to cut themselves off from all the distractions that are going on around them and to work in a deep way. In other words, to concentrate really, really hard to work in blocks of time, whether it be four or five days a week, a month, or maybe a day or two hours, um, that your value as a member of staff, as, a, as an employee, is measured according to what you can create in, in deep thought, in deep work, uh, as opposed to all of that superficial work that that we all have to do, like responding to emails, talking to people on the phone, attending meetings, things that basically sort of functions which don't allow us to think very deeply. They just keep us thinking at a superficial level. I find it fascinating. Uh, and and I think it has had... I've certainly noticed an effect on me as a result of reading it. It's got all sorts of strategies about how you can make sure that you... You optimise your time so that so that you do think deeply, uh, or do work deeply rather. Um, <clears throat> and it's not it's not really just about time management. I know actually when I say it all out loud, it sounds fairly straightforward. You know, concentrate. Don't have any distractions around you. You'll have a better day. That's basically his message. But it does the process of reading about it does sort of instil something in you, and you start striving even harder to cut out distraction and to really, really focus on stuff such that when you've completed the task 
as I have done on a number of sort of small tasks this week, I've sort of thought, oh, oh, I did rather well there. That was that was rather good. Um, I'm quite pleased with what I did there. It it really helps. It really helps do the stuff and do the stuff well. Uh, anyway, so that, so that's what I've been reading, and that that's. Um, that's a change for me. That is actually a change for me. Change in my thinking, a change in how I approach stuff and how I do stuff at work. Um, and I have every reason to believe that that's, that's a permanent change. I do very much hope it's a permanent change. Um, anyway, this whole talk about sort of deep work and, and deep thinking, what, what I then realised on, say, Thursday, I think it was was that there is a period of the day when I do most of my thinking, but actually hadn't realised it, um, which is the journey into work. And the journey into work means leaving the house. I get quite stressed before I leave the house, because I think, oh my God, I've got to leave the house. I don't know what that's about. Why, why would I be getting stressed about doing something as banal and as straightforward and as well-practised as leaving the house? I have no idea. Um... But once I've shut the front door and locked it, that's when I, I feel as though, oh, that's free time. I'm this, I'm allowed this. This is free time. I don't have to do any work. I don't have to speak to anybody. I don't have to write email. I can just walk. Uh, and it's a 15-minute walk to the train station. And if you time the train journey correctly uh, and you're prepared to sort of arrive half an hour after everybody else and then therefore have to be prepared to scratch somebody's eyes out in order to get a seat at a desk, um, then the train journey at sort of quarter to nine uh, into Charing Cross is really quite pleasant because there aren't too many people around and if there are, they don't smell. And um, you get a seat, it's not crowded. It's just a rather charming journey in. Uh, it's a shame we don't have steam trains anymore really because that would probably add to the the entire experience uh and from Charing cross it's either a tube journey or it's a walk up to broadcasting house uh but often it's a tube journey and then from oxford circus it's a walk up portland place which is less busy than regent street um and then i'm into the office now during that time i am at my most relaxed and my most distraction free i didn't realize this until this week i've been doing that that journey for um 18 months now you know, I've always been late to the party, always been late to realising what's going on, I think. Um, and I've certainly been doing the journey from Hither Green to, um, where was that place? <laughs> uh, White City. I've been doing that for 10 years. Uh, so, you know, um, I just hadn't realised that actually that's that's a really potent time of the day for me when I can sort of process through stuff and come up with ideas and blah, blah, blah. I don't mean ideas like finding a solution for world peace or coming up with a cure for cancer. That's not the kind of thing I'm talking about. It's more like, oh, I could do that. Or what about doing that? Or, you know, if I could just do that, that might be quite handy. That kind of idea generation. So, on Friday morning, fully primed, um, <clears throat> I, I wander up Portland, Portland Street, Portland Place, and uh, I was sort of thinking about that whole change thing. You know, what are you going to do next? What could you do next? What what could you do now that would help you to do the next thing? And I ended up having a random thought. 
a slightly random thought. I work in a publicity department. I produce content for a publicity department. Uh, you know, I rub shoulders with people who do PR and they do it very well. And I sometimes look at them and think, wow, you're weird. <laughs> I mean, they're lovely, but you're weird. You have to think in an entirely different way from me. And, and that's weird. And I wonder how you have to think. I wonder. I mean, I sort of know. Actually, I'm doing myself a disservice. I do sort of know. Um, because I hear them talk, and and actually, when you've when you've sat alongside people who talk in a particular way that reveals the kind of things that they have to think about, actually, you do come to understand the the different workings of the machine. And this was certainly the case when I worked in uh, what was the College of Journalism, which is now part of the Academy. Uh, I understood about how journalists' mind worked. Um, as a result of being embedded in um, a bunch of journalists. Uh, and that's why I do bits and pieces of freelance journalism now, I think, because I sort of, I do, I do identify more as a journalist as a result of that experience. Anyway, the random thought was, look, you, you sit in a publicity department, you produce content for publicists, but actually... Do do you need to know more about publicity? Publicity. Do you need to get some hands-on experience about doing publicity, such that if you if you do that next, or, or such that you might you might want to offer that as a potential path to yourself and to to future employers? Um, you know, you're in the right place to get that experience, surely, aren't you? I mean, it seems fairly sensible why reinvent the wheel you could just tap somebody up and say have you got anything i could help with i mean might be interesting um so off the back of that i thought well actually you need to sit down with one of these people and do somebody fairly senior and approachable and lovely uh just so happens there is somebody in the department like that Uh, i mean they're all like that obviously but this one is particularly well more like that um and uh, so she and I sat down, and, <laughs> and when I look back on the conversation now, I realise a little bit that I ambushed her, really. I, I was, in effect, asking her to coach me or mentor me, only she didn't she didn't realise it, and I didn't realise it either. I explained all of the context, I explained what I was thinking, and I explained that I had this idea, this random idea, on the way up from, from Oxford Circus Tube to Broadcasting House, so it's not like it had fully formed. Um, and... Uh, uh, and I said all of this out loud, and and she said, "Well, I mean, you know, I think it's an interesting idea, uh, but you know, you would obviously be selling, you'd be selling story, you'd be selling programs and selling selling stuff to journalists. So you'd have to learn about selling." That was the moment when she used the word "selling" three times. That was the moment when when I suddenly thought, "Oh my god, what? Oh no." I'm not sure I'd want to do that. And then, <laughs> and and then she said, and also you'd you'd have to talk to journalists. <laughs> that's when that's when as soon as she said that, that's when I went. Oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to talk to journalists. Why would I want to do that? Uh, I don't have to sell things to journalists. I'm <laughs> actually on reflection. I want people to sell things to me, and. 
that was the first thing. That was the first moment in this year where I sort of thought, excellent, we've crossed that thing off the list. That is not something that I want to do because I realise now, and I, and, I, and I do this when I'm coaching other people, but I realise now that in trying to identify what it is that you want to do next, you might spend, you might be best, best spending a bit of time thinking about what you don't want to do next. <laughs> 